Do you still remember your best friend at school? That moment where you felt included, maybe by someone popular in the class, and you got invited to something, and you felt like you belonged. Or do you have those memories, maybe from a Monday morning, where you came into school and everybody else, it turns out, had been invited to something, and you weren't included? Those are painful moments. It's as if there's something inside us that is hardwired to desire friendship, to have that sense. Of belonging, it's not always easy here in London to make friends or to keep friends. In fact, Britain as a country has been described as the loneliness capital of Europe. Evidently, we are less likely to have strong friendships or know our neighbours than any other country in the EU. Two point five million older people in Britain describe themselves as lonely. And the percentage of households with just one person in them has doubled between 1972 and 2008. We live alone, and often we do life alone. But Nikki Gumbel, who founded Alpha, says friendship is at the heart of Christianity, and it should be at the heart of church life. Men and women were created to live in a relationship of friendship with God. It was his intention that all men and women should be described like Moses, as friends of God. But the creation order, it, you know, it wasn't just about us having friendship with God. Nikki goes on to say, the creation order involved not just friendship with God, but friendship with one another. God said, it is not good for man or woman to be alone. You know, people say that Kings is a friendly church, and I think, by and large, we are. But I have also heard that over time, people sometimes find it hard to make real friends at church. I think that's partly to do with London life, the busyness, the commuting, the long hours. It's also to do with the scale of us as a church, the different meetings, the large number of people. And some of the cultural differences that don't make it as easy to make friends, but we believe that friendship is central to what we do. We ran a, a preaching series this time last year called "Invited," about how all kinds of different people need to gather round the table and find friendship and fellowship together. I know sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of what friendship is like. We're no longer at school or at uni where you can, you know, talk to people day and night and make socialising the prime thing you do with your time. So let's look at friendship in Philippians and see what the Bible has to say about friendship. Paul calls all the people in the Philippian church. His friends. His tone is warm and affectionate. It's a friendly letter, but in the letter he talks about two particular people that he is friends with: Timothy and Epaphroditus. So let me read to you what Paul says about these two friends of his. Philippians chapter two,、uh, verse nineteen. So let's have a look at what Paul says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. 
I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I can to see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. So what do we learn about Paul and his friends in this passage? It's good to remember that Paul uh, was a driven, focused person. I don't think he was, he had casual friendships where he just met with someone in Costa for a quiet chat. No, he was always on mission. But we know from the book of Acts that whenever he was on his journeys, he took people with him. And those team members, they weren't just like co-workers, they became close friends, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. He had genuine affection for them. He invested in them. He was willing to be vulnerable with them. Timothy had served alongside Paul for several years. He was a younger man that Paul had mentored. They were close and Paul trusts him completely. Paul has no one like him, he says, who shares his concerns. I think when you serve with someone else, it's a great way to develop a friendship. I think of one of my friends, Ebby, who I met at church a number of years ago here at King's. We have served together on the prayer team, Freedom in Christ, various women's events. And as we've served together, we've got to know each other. We're at different stages in life. I have grown up children and grandchildren. She's still got children at school. And yet we have become friends. We meet regularly to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable. But that started through serving together. It's a great way to make friends. Epaphroditus was also someone who Paul served with. I love the words that Paul uses to describe him. Brother. He's like family to Paul. Fellow worker. Although Paul is the evangelist, the apostle, he sees Epaphroditus as his equal. They are co-workers in the gospel. Soldier. They battle on together. They have each other's backs. Messenger. He's trusted. He's carrying the same message that Paul would carry. Very powerful words that describe the quality of their friendship. I like the fact that 
Paul doesn't take Epaphroditus's sacrifices for granted. We already know from Philippians that Paul says he would be willing to die for the gospel, but he doesn't want Epaphroditus to die. He doesn't load on Epaphroditus his own calling, his own sense of how things should be done. We need to be aware of that when we're serving alongside people. Maybe there's someone in your team that doesn't do things quite the way you want them to do. Maybe they get there late. And yet they have challenges that maybe you don't know. Become friends and find out how you can work together and respect each other and not take each other for granted. That's what Paul did. Paul also shows his emotions when it comes to Epaphroditus. He was anxious when Epaphroditus was ill. He was filled with sorrow and worry. He was happy and full of joy when he got better. You know, he didn't gloss over it. He so easily could have summarized it in the letter and said, oh, Epaphroditus was ill, but we prayed and God raised him up and everything was great. But he doesn't. He expresses his real emotions. We need to do that. When people open up to us about their troubles, let's not give them cliches. Let's listen and share emotions together. Paul also kind of honors Epaphroditus as he sends him back to Philippians. He doesn't want the Philippian church to think less of him because he's had to leave Paul or he's been ill. But instead, he wants them to protect and welcome him. And we need to do that, particularly with people who are going through tough times, illness or trouble. We should protect them and make sure no one judges them or sidelines them. That's the way friendship grows. You know, the name Epaphroditus suggests that his parents devoted him to the service of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Timothy, we know, had a Greek Gentile father. So these guys had kind of different backgrounds from Paul, who had immaculate Jewish credentials. But the three men, with their different cultural background, their different ages, became the best of friends. Let's not let different cultural backgrounds hinder true friendship developing here in King's. So what else can we see in the letter about friendship? Well, if you remember that wonderful passage about Jesus humbling himself and being obedient to death, we find at the beginning of that passage in chapter 2 and at the end, there, there are some advice about friendship. We are called to look to the interests of others, Paul says, just as, as Jesus did. Dale Carnegie, who wrote that famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Look to the interests of others. In other words, be friendly you know, Leonie in the video talked about the fact that when she first came to King's after a broken relationship, she was nervous and worried and um, she wasn't sure how she would be received. But thankfully, people were friendly to her. Let's be the kind of church that is always on the lookout 
for ways to be friendly to others. At the break, let's talk to the people around us. You know, talk about the weather or ask them how their week has gone by. Let's offer people a drink or take them to the creche with their children. If you belong to a group, why not take a cake to the group? Learn the names of the people on your serving team. Let's find little ways to be friendly to one another. But let's do more than that. Let's be a friend to others. Don't wait for people to be friends to you. If you want to be a friend, then be friendly. Be friends with people around you. Don't wait for the perfect person to come along to be that special friend. No, look at whoever comes across your path. You know, if you're in a group of 10 or 12 people, you're not going to become best friends with all of them. But look for one or two that you can really connect with. Paul talks about getting rid of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And we need to do that. We need to reach out to people and not be full of pride or kind of use our privilege in friendship. That's a word that's used a lot these days. Paul never did that. When he was in jail once, he became close friends with a runaway slave, Onesimus. The story is in the book of Philemon. Other times he became friends with rulers and kings to serve them and to show them the gospel. Let's not let any of our own pride or our education or our background separate us or make us think we're better than anybody else. Who sits at your table? Who do you invite in? Who do you gather round your house? You know, I remember once when I was a young parent um, and looking to make friends, we had moved to Wales and uh, the pastor's wife had a, a boy very similar age to my first son. And, and so I thought, oh, we can be friends. And I reached out to her. I thought we had a lot in common but you know that friendship, it just didn't work out. Has that ever happened to you? And when I look back on it, I think there was probably some mixed motives there. That there was part of me that wanted to be friends with the pastor's wife, so I was kind of in the know, in the inner circle. And actually it just didn't work out. We need to not have selfish ambition in our friendships, but accept the people around us and make friends with whoever comes across our path. You know, friendship is by far the most effective way to pass on the good news of Jesus Christ. I love the fact that Paul says in Philippians that all the palace guards have heard about the good news of Jesus while he's been in prison. And I think that must have been because Paul was friendly to them, even though they probably were pretty cruel and brutal. Or maybe they watched how him and Epaphroditus and Timothy cared for one another. And that made them ask questions about what this faith was all about. Don't give up on friends who aren't Christians. Live and love them and share your faith with them. Hold firmly to the word of life, Paul says. We live in a crooked generation and he tells the Philippians, live pure lives. 
You know, the Bible really gives us great guidelines as to how to live life. It's like a plumb line in our friendships. Let's keep pure friendships. Watch friendships between men and women. They should be like brothers and sisters. Let's keep them uh, carefully from crossing lines. Let's watch we don't use friendships in church to get a business advantage in some kind of devious way. Let's keep integrity. The Bible has so much wisdom about friendships, about relationships, about dating and marriage and how to restore broken relationships. That's why we run things like Relationship Matters or the Marriage Course or Restored Lives because we believe that God cares about our relationships. Paul says, don't complain or grumble or argue. Those things will happen in church, but let's check ourselves and try to resist the temptation to do those things because they make people withdraw from one another. In fact, Paul goes on to address a disagreement that had happened between two women in the Philippian church. It's in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Let me read what he says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Again, such an affectionate, friendly way of talking to these people. Then he goes on. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Ooh, Paul names these women in this letter. How embarrassing, how difficult. It's obvious that their disagreement must have been quite serious. Maybe it was causing division in the church as people took sides with them. It sounds like they were leaders or influencers in the church because they'd worked alongside Paul in the past. Maybe they were original members of this church and there's a disagreement between them. It's interesting that Paul doesn't go to the issue. We don't know what the issue was. He doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, oh, well, Judea, you're right, Syndicate, don't, don't go down that way. No, he lifts their head to Jesus and he says, have the same mind in the Lord, agree in the Lord. He, he tries to get them to look up to Jesus. Maybe he's reminding them of that passage where he spoke about Jesus and his humility and all that he has done for for us. And he's saying to these two women, come on, be peacemakers. It's so important that when disagreements happen and they will happen between us, that we reconcile quickly. Matthew 5 verse 23 says this, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. It's so important that we deal with these things quickly. We say sorry. We apologize. 
we forgive people. We don't gossip about it. We don't go to someone else about it. We don't savour and fester on the offence. We need to be peacemakers. There will be blessing for us in that. And sometimes we need help from other people to do that. And if you know people in the church who are disagreeing, then let's help them, let's encourage them, let's lift their heads up to Jesus. Let's be people who find a path of peace through those disappointments and hurts and tensions that will inevitably happen. So, do you think friendship is a key part of discipleship or is it just an optional extra? Is it just kind of icing on the cake and nice to have but not essential? Well, I want you to imagine that you've been asked to take three children down to Cornwall in a car. And it's a long journey. And if you've had brothers or sisters, you know that those children are probably going to argue. They're going to poke each other, pinch each other's sweets, tease each other. And so you're going to think, how can I make this journey work? And maybe you're going to try and hire a really big car so they don't sit next to each other. Maybe you'd get them headphones and their own individual iPad so that they just focus on what they've got to do. You know, sometimes people treat church like that. They put up the barriers. They keep other people at a distance because they know if they get too close to people, maybe there will be hurt and disagreement and disappointment. But, you know, Christianity isn't an individual path. It's like we're all jammed into a mini together. I mean, Peter talks about the fact that we're like living stones being built once against the other. And that's the way that we grow in relationship, not just with God, but with each other. As we make friends, as we deal with disappointments, as we share food around the table then God's love becomes visible in us and we are changed. Jesus was a great example of this. He was friendly. I mean, he would sit down next to a woman at the well and start a conversation. He would reach out to a blind man at the side of the road and heal him. So he knew how to be friendly, but he was also a true friend. He gathered a group of people around him, the disciples, with different backgrounds, political views, occupations, and they weren't just kind of his students. They became his friends. This isn't optional. This is the way Jesus chose to spread the new good news of the gospel through friendships. And he talks in John 15 about what true friendship, true love in the gospel is like. Let me read this passage. John 15, beginning at verse 12. Jesus says this, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you 
so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now remember, this passage is in the context of the Last Supper. Jesus has gathered his friends together. He's already humbled himself and washed their feet. He's taken some doubting questions from Philip, who doesn't get what he's saying. There's still rivalry in the background between James and John. So these aren't perfect friends by any means. Jesus has had to tell them that they're going to deny him. And Peter has gone on the defensive and said, oh, not me, I would never do that. And Jesus has had to look him in the eye and say, by tomorrow morning, you'll have denied me three times. And Jesus has looked round at this group of friends and he said, one of you is going to betray me. Imagine how that must have felt. And it's in that context that he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It hardly seems possible that that would work with this group of friends. Later that evening, as they go to the garden and Jesus is distressed and he's praying and they're falling asleep and then suddenly a whole crowd of soldiers appears led by Judas. And Judas greets Jesus as a friend would with a kiss, like we might hug a close friend to identify him so that the soldiers can take him. And Jesus says to Judas, do what you came for, friend. Even in that bitter moment, Jesus is looking at Judas as a friend. That's the kind of saviour we have. Friendship was not optional for the spread of the gospel. And it's not optional for our discipleship. It's a great way to demonstrate the grace and love and mercy of God to each other and to the world. You know, in this series, we've spoken about discipleship being like making a path in a forest. And you know, when you want to make a path, it's a lot easier when you do it with other people, when you walk together. So in conclusion, some questions for you. Who's walking that path of discipleship with you? Who sits at your table? Is there someone you used to walk with, but now the friendship has grown cold or broken? Is it time to say you're sorry and find a way to agree again in the Lord? Let's make every effort to be friendly, to be a friend, to serve together, to, to make groups that really ex- show friendship to one another. Let's make that part of what it means to be a disciple. Let's together show this lonely city 
what real friendship looks like and draw them towards Jesus, the true friend who laid down his life for you and me.